you can't have missed the fact that there was long lists of countries that were being uh, read out. Switzerland, France, Germany, Luxembourg over this weekend. No, I'm not talking about the uh, Eurovision Song Contest. I'm talking about the, the places that Luke and Petra have visited. We're just back from the Elim Leaders Conference and uh, we had a tremendous time there. There were some inspirational speakers there and uh, one in particular that struck me, there was a lady, she spoke a couple of times, tremendous ministry. But one of the things she said, this is just to encourage you, uh, she told the story, and I'll be very brief, of the Salvation Army in Japan going back a good few years there were a lot of institutional brothels in Japan and it was one of those unmentionable secrets. Everyone knew about it, but no one talked about it. And you know, the Japanese have a culture of, uh, of honour and shame and all of these sort of things. And this, this had somehow gone by the board and lots of women were involved in those brothels because they were paying off family debts. And the Salvation Army decided to do something about it and they, they took the first bit of equipment that you always need, which was a bass drum, and they marched into one of these brothels and said to the people, if you want to come out, we'll help you come out. And um, they were attacked by the people who were running these brothels and uh, they formed a circle, a bit like a wagon train, and they said to any of the girls that wanted to come out, come and get in the middle here and we'll protect you. And they stood on the outside getting beaten by these people. And, uh, but what they had done is they'd alerted the media of what they were doing. So there were reporters there with photographs taken and it appeared front page in all the newspapers the next day. And bit by bit what happened was the, uh, the recognition by the government that they had to do something about this was, it was a shameful thing. And so they, uh, they ended up by making it illegal. Oh, no, they made, made it legal for you to leave the brothel if you wanted to, without hindrance, without any problem. And the day they made that the law, 33,000 women left. And this lady was just saying that we have influence and we have power and we can influence our society. Tremendous story. The whole thing is just amazing. I'm a bit of an iconoclast. By that I mean that I, I'm all for pulling down icons and uh, traditions which are clouding the way and the view of the real God made plain to us in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not a misery. I enjoy the imagery of Christmas, angels, wise men, shepherds, mangers, all of those sort of things. So I can't be all bad. If I was all bad, I'd be one of those people that goes in with a sword and sets people free. But I'd need a beard like Dan's for that, really, wouldn't I? <laughs> but coming from a non-Christian background and reading the Word of God convinced me that many images and many things that uh, are like that don't reveal the real Jesus. Rather, they obscure the truth behind sentimentality and often downright lies. Of course, there are some things that God allows and that genuinely reflect and enlarge on the truth as we know it. Um, 
and I'll look at a little bit of that in a moment. So in a way, I want to say to you, I want you to count your blessings and mark them. And I want to run through a few scriptures that just talk about this. You know, God speaks in the, the word about how men take a piece of wood and they carve it and they stand out and then they worship it. And he laughs. And I must admit, when I first read that, I laughed. I thought, this is ridiculous. You get a piece of wood, you make it into something, you put it there, and then you worship it. What are you doing? And God says he laughs at these things. And I think uh, we need to make sure we don't have any idols that we've carved for ourselves that we've somehow ended up uh, worshipping. It can happen. Would you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 26? I just want to read out the first verse there. It says this, You should not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourself an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land and bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. God won't brook with other things that are put up. He expressly forbids those sort of things, but he does tell us to remember the good things and mark those uh, in a different way. So if God has spoken directly to you um, and it's been significant, it's good to mark those things. One of the ways that the Israelites did it was with heaps of stones and you'll see that in the next story. If you go to Joshua chapter 4, Joshua, Moses is dead. Joshua is the man that God has chosen to lead the children of Israel. In chapter 4 of Joshua, now what happened? They came and they needed to cross the Jordan. And how are they going to get across? Well, God says to them, take the Ark of the Covenant, march down to the, the Jordan, and when your feet get wet, stand there with the Ark of the Covenant. And all the people will cross there because the waters are held back. And it gives the, the name of the place where it's held back. And you'll go across on dry land. You know, this is very similar to what happened with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and uh, when they crossed the Red Sea. Some people have said, you know, the Red Sea at that point is 18 inches deep. So it's no miracle. They've missed the point. The miracle is that God managed to drown a whole Egyptian army in 18 inches of water. But let's have a look. In verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you're lodged tonight. So he did it, basically. And he appointed the sons of Israel, one man in each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the, to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel. 
Let this be a sign among you that when your children ask later, what do these stones mean? You say, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So they crossed on dry land. And God said, mark this because you need it. Now, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in people's thinking about the River Jordan. You, people, you hear people saying, I'm going over Jordan when I die. And they confuse it with the River Styx, which is Greek mythology, where there's a man rowing you across when you die and all of this sort of stuff. But this is not what this passage talks about. This passage talks about entering the promised land. And whenever you talk about entering the, the promised land, it speaks of the new birth. It's a picture and a type of that which is to come. The new birth. God made a way for us to go across, if you like, the Jordan because he, he made a way in Jesus. And that's what it's about. It's a picture. You remember Wesley wrote that God spoke on the dungeon flame with light when we were trapped in our sin and desperate condition, could do nothing about it, God shined his light upon us that gave us the opportunity to believe and receive. And there's a picture of this. But in Joshua chapter 3, just to go back a bit, in verse 4, it says this, However, there shall be between you and a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. This is from the, uh, the ark. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you go, for you have not passed this way before. Has God done a new thing in your life? Something that you've not passed that way before? Take my advice, mark it. Somehow mark it. Write it down. Put it somewhere. The day that you became a Christian. I wish I had written down what day it was. I've no idea what day it was. But it's significant. It changed my life completely. And it's good to do those things. Why? Because we can praise the Lord for them. And there are times when we need to look back and say, thank you, Lord, for what you did there. I can see your hand working through there. And when you see God's hand in your past, you realise that he's got you in the present and he's got your future sorted too. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. A new creation. That's worth marking in your life. If you've never marked it, if you've never known it, we'd like to talk to you afterwards. Go into Genesis, go back into Genesis chapter 28. We're going to talk a little bit about Jacob. Jacob's father is Isaac. And he says to Jacob, it's time you found a wife. But don't take a wife from these Canaanites that are surrounding us. Go to your relatives who are far away and find a wife amongst them. Now Jacob was in a difficult position. He was... Um, being threatened by his brother Esau because Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright. 
and the blessing of the birthright. And so Esau was mad enough with him and planned to kill him. Jacob knew this. So in the midst of all this turmoil, God speaks to him. And Jacob sends him, uh, Jacob goes away and he ends up in this place called Bethel. So in chapter 28, um, let's go back a bit. He had a dream in verse 13. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now God spoke something very important here to Jacob. And he had this dream and he realised this was something very important. God made a promise, I'm going to do something, but he's not doing it at that moment. But he's made the promise. So if you like, you could say that God introduced himself to Jacob there and said to him, you'll be back here. You don't know, know it, but you do it. Now in verse 20, you'll find that Jacob made a vow that if God would look, look after him in his situation, save him from his brother and all these things, then I'll follow you. Now, I'd like to say that I've never made a vow like that, but I have prayed like that. Haven't you? Lord, get me out of this. I'll do anything. <laughs> Particularly when I was a young Christian. Get me out of this situation. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, say what you want me to say, whatever it is. God hears those vows, you know. He hears those things and he honours them. But sometimes he honours them in a way that we, we don't always understand. You know, <coughs> this was a place of a prominent occasion, I've called it something very significant, where God revealed himself. It was a turning point for Jacob. Mark it, Jacob, mark it, because you're going to come back. You know, the Apostle Paul made a vow. I don't know if you've ever noticed in Acts 18, verse 18, it says that Paul made a vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to go up to Jerusalem and he'd cut his hair, he'd go to Jerusalem, he'd go through the temple and he'd, pay for people to go what they called through the temple with him now God never let him fulfill that vow I have to tell you he was arrested before he fulfilled it but vows were something that were very important even to someone like Paul who's an iconoclast like me so mark it now go on to Genesis 35 we're still with Jacob Jacob's gone he's found his relatives He's uh, found his wife as well and all these things going on. We'll come back to that. And in Genesis 35, verses 14 and 15, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he'd spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and he poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. God had sent him back to that place. And whilst he was there, God said, I'm going to change you completely. You're no longer going to be Jacob. 
they're going to be called Israel. This is where the name Israel comes from. God gave it to him. So God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now, sometimes I think we need a change of name. I know uh, if you become a monk, quite often you change your name from something, I'm Brother Ken, so I'd change it to something saintly like Brother Martin. (laughs) But you change it. And they did it on the basis of this. But there's a real change because it's a change of name and a change of nature. Things are going to change for him completely. And he remembered that this was the place that God had told him to go back to. It says that uh, around these things that the foreign gods that were in his household, because his household wasn't just him and his wife, it was men, you know, when Abraham had uh, his household, he could put, put together an army of four, 400 men. So they were quite a big sort of group of, of people. Um, anyway, uh, I forgot what I said that for. Um, what was I saying that for? Oh, yeah, he caused, their moving back to Bethel caused terror among the other cities around about there. But he remembered where God had come to him and spoken to him. So he called it the place of Bethel where he had the revelation of God. Now, God put a call on Jacob's life and he raised up stones that we just read about where he poured water and oil over them as a place where this happened. Has God done something with you as as far as uh, putting a call on your life? Have you marked it? Sometimes people have a call on their life and it takes years for it to be fulfilled. I know people who have said to me, I'm going to end up in Japan. You say, well, why do you know? Because God spoke to me and said something to me. It hasn't happened yet. But lo and behold, he opens the door and does it. What's your call? Have you surrendered to your call? Maybe you know what God's called you to do and you're not doing it. Well, why are you not doing it? We Sometimes we've redeveloped the uh, old hymn, I Surrender All. I love that as a hymn because God comes sometimes and says, I want you to surrender everything. Lay it down. Lay it down at my feet. Maybe God wants to do that. In Exodus 24, God deals with the, the whole nation. You know, in the days of John Wesley, a large percentage of the clergy in the Church of England had no idea where to find the Ten Commandments in the Bible. It's one of the factors that made Wesley say, I've got to do something. We've got to do something. Well, you know where to find it, Exodus. Twenty, yeah. Don't be, don't be nervous. <laughs> Exodus twenty, but in Exodus twenty-four, you find that. Um, well, they've <laughs> they've come back to the mountain, where God gave the commandments. When I read about the God giving the commandments, you know the thing that I would find most terrifying. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's a cloud that comes down over the mountain, a thick cloud that envelops everything. But the eerie thing for me is there's the sound of a trumpet. Wouldn't I, I find that, am I the only one that finds that odd? 
you know, all these other things are natural things that happen. But then suddenly comes out of the cloud the sound of a trumpet. And of course, God blows the trumpet. And God, in Exodus 24, reminds them of their words that they say that they will obey what God has given to them in Exodus 20. Now, in verse 8, it says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. God holds us to our words. We hold God to his word. He holds us to our words. And they said, we will do it. We will obey this covenant. And the covenant is ratified by blood. Another picture of what happens on Calvary. But, of course, we know that the people didn't always do what God said. And that's where grace came in and mercy and the blood again that cleansed them. When we're tempted to forget what we've said to the Lord, he reminds us of what we've said because we want to hold it. In Deuteronomy 27, you don't need to turn to it, the law was given and accepted and they did the same thing. They said, we'll keep the law. Genesis 31 Genesis 31, the period between, oh, they sound like being murdered out there, don't they? <laughs> um, the difference between the two times when Gen, uh, in Genesis 28 where, they had the th where he had the first encounter, this is Jacob, and later on when he went back, between that time he found his relatives. He stayed with them and there was a man called Laban who was in charge and Laban said, you can serve so many years for your wife. And when he did, he was tricked. So eventually Jacob takes his wife and all his cattle and everything and leaves Laban and goes off. So they're at loggerheads with each other. And in uh, Genesis 31, it comes out that Laban comes back to, to catch him out. And they have a talk about what's gone on. And this could have been war between the two sides of the family. But what actually happened is that they agreed and they put down stones in agreement and said, we've done this and this is to testify that the boundaries between you and I have been resolved. I'll stay here, you stay there, we won't cross the boundaries. Is there anyone that you're at war with that may sound rather dramatic, but Jesus did say, look, if you, if you hate your brother, you're at war with him. I would recommend that you put an end to it. Put an end to it and mark it. I'll tell you why. Because if you've forgiven someone or there's been something between two people, if you've actually written it down somewhere and said, look, this day I've resolved it, when the devil comes and says, or tries to stir it up again, you can turn back and say, oh no, I resolved it there. Because he will, he'll come back, because he loves us fighting with other people. 
You know, by the way, when the devil reminds you of, of your past, remind him of his future. That's the way forward. But is there anyone that you need to sort anything out with? Is there a reason to, to lay down a marker? Make a mark. You know, the Apostle Paul, if you said to him, what are the most important things in your past, Paul? He'd say the Damascus Road incident. What happened there? If you look in Acts chapter 26, there's a couple of places where Paul recounts very intimately what happened to him there. But Acts 26... in front of the king King Agrippa verse 12 king, king Agrippa had come he was, the Jews tried to kill Paul they wanted to try and legally do it so they, they got him to um, appear before a court as well, and Agrippa was the king there and he um, Paul says look this is what happened to Agrippa. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, so everyone fell to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? I've said this so many times. Three words define Paul from there. And the three words were when he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Paul had built his life around destroying everything to do with Jesus. Now he has this revelation, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa, I love this verse, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. If you said to Paul, what's the most significant day in your life? It was then. And he could mark it and he could tell you all about it. In 1 Corinthians 15, he outlines his gospel, as he puts it. And he said, I got that gospel by revelation. No one taught me this. God taught me direct of what the gospel is. You want to know what the gospel is? Read 1 Corinthians 15. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11, he does the same thing. So when Paul looks back, he looks back to the Damascus Road. The Apostle Peter, in his writings, what come, becomes clear is what he goes back to is two things. The first one is the transfiguration. He always talks about the transfiguration. When I was there, he said, I heard the voice of God speaking to me. And he goes back to that. That empowers him. 
Is there something that you've done, something you know, a time when God's spoken to you? Write it down and mark it. The second thing that he goes back to is found in John 21. It's forgiveness. Jesus is a broken man. Um, Peter is a broken man. He denies Jesus. But there on the beach, after the resurrection, Jesus comes and says to him, Peter, do you love me? He said, you know I love you. He did that three times. Why did he do it three times? How many times did Peter deny? Three times. It's the reinstatement of Peter publicly, but more than publicly, in his heart. Peter just felt wretched and Jesus came and said, I know, I understand. And for each one of your denials, I forgive you. It's over, it's finished. Is there something like that in your life? Well, mark it. Let God deal with you. Forgiveness is important. For John, it's very hard to say, but I think it's his understanding of what the word is. The word was Jesus, made flesh. God the Father speaks the word. The word is Jesus and the Holy Spirit then illuminates us as to what Jesus is doing and acts in accord with the word. So that's how we get this thing. But he's understanding the word was made flesh. Jesus, God himself, came in flesh and dwelled among us. I'll just wind up here. I read a book once. Well, we've all done that anyway. <laughs> I read uh, a, couple of, I had a, cover, a couple of quick, thick tomes on Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission. And I remember him saying, he was on a boat going up the river Yangtze with someone else. And he got to a certain point and his eyes filled with tears and he pointed in this man and he said, it was over there. It was over there. And the man said, what was over there? He said, I had an encounter with God over there. He marked the place, he knew the place, he knew the time. And it was obviously something that moved him very deeply. So whilst we don't want to raise up things that we worship, we do want to mark those things that are important in our lives. And I've I'd like to suggest four reasons for doing that. One, to thank God for his dealings with us so that we can praise and worship him. We thank God for his dealings. I thank God that he took time to find me and lead me into the truth. The second thing is to remind you that we're often called to play our part that we've made a covenant with God and God wants to see our side of it. He's not going to beat us and if we've said silly things, you know, it's interesting, I'll probably get slaughtered for this, but the Bible says, that's, it, that's my way out, the Bible says that if you have a wife who makes a silly vow, you can you counteract it. You make of that what you will. Just let me get out before you do. All right? <laughs> but... Sometimes we say things we, we don't know what we're saying. But God holds us to our word but loves us in it and, and teaches us in it. The third thing is to allow you to be overcomers. It says in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it's good to have a testimony to say these things have happened. I was looking at that crown. It's gone now. 
But you know, we should be all aiming for a crown. Now, some people will say, I'm too humble to get a crown. But you need a crown. Because if you haven't got a crown, what are you going to take off and throw at Jesus' feet when you see him? Your crown. So work to get that. And to be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And the third thing is they didn't love their life unto death. But if you've got the word of your testimony there, it'd be good. And the fourth thing is to have something to share to encourage others. That God has dealt with me this way over the years with various things. Now we all forget. We don't mean to. It just happens. There's three things that really show that we are getting older. The first thing is we forget more. I can't remember the other two. <laughs> but God wants to do something. He wants you to mark things. Maybe you need to look back over your life and think, well, Lord, your hand has been on me. Because that's what I find, that these are not isolated events. They're part of a consistent plan of God for my life. I don't see it at the time, but God wants to do something. So let's just have a moment's prayer, shall we? And ask the Lord to show you things that you can recall as blessings. Ask the Lord to give you total recall so you can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Can we sing I Surrender All, just the chorus? take my life and let it be what you want it to be and over the difficulties that I face at the moment Lord you're Lord and I surrender these things to you maybe there's someone you are at war with you need to get resolved with I surrender all Lord I want those things gone out of my life that I may love and not hate maybe Lord there's been encounters I've had in the past and I've said foolish things but Lord, you know my heart now. Just 
take me and use me and glorify your name as I surrender all that area, Lord. Lord, your law is a wonderful thing when it's written on our hearts by your Spirit. I surrender to it, Lord. Bless your name. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender Father, you are father to us it's you that's told us Jesus to call him father and we come to a father who loves us and cares about us and we want to mark in our life your faithfulness to us Lord and we want to do it today in a new way so glorify your name in us Lord and thank you for loving us over the years Lord